today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith Now we won't be judged concerning heaven and hell, but some will just make it as by fire. And that's what James is warning. That's what James is concerned about. That at this moment, we are careful that the trials and the struggles don't demoralize us, but moralize us. Don't cause us to become unsanctified, but sanctify us. Reaching up high with arms open wide, we see. Changing our lives so we can be our heads and feet. God is with us even in our darkest moments. He is there when we feel Him close and even when we don't. In today's message, Pastor Ed doesn't deny that difficult times are going to come in our life. However, he warns us that it is possible to turn away from God when trials arise. We have a choice to make when life becomes hard. We can turn to God or walk away from God. God promises to comfort us in times of stress and give us the strength to endure. God will always be the better choice. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. Building in Faith The pastor stood before the congregation. He was welcoming the new members into the church. They were lined in the front. Just came to him an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he said. This is his testimony. About 20 years ago, I said something impromptu to the new members standing in a row across the front of the church. As we received them, the Holy Spirit prompted me to add, and now I charge you, that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander against anyone, myself, an usher, a choir member, or anyone else, that you stop that person in mid-sentence and say, Excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? Was it Pastor Simbla? Let's go to his office right now. He'll apologize to you. And then we'll pray together so God can restore peace to this body. But we won't let you talk critically about people who aren't present to defend themselves. I'm serious about this. I want you to help resolve this kind of thing immediately. And know this. If you're ever the one doing loose talking, we'll confront you. Jim Sembla, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, every membership Sunday when he receives new members, says that to them. In the midst of crisis and struggle and testing, you could begin complaining about your spouse, complaining about your children, complaining about your parents, complaining about your job, complaining about your church, complain. Oh, you go back in the desert and wander with those Israelites for 40 years, just walking in circles, murmuring, grumbling, complaining. And James says, it's wrong. Don't do it. Stop it. When you begin to meditate on the return of Jesus Christ, you know that we'll have to give account of every word. That God will look at our lives and measure our faithfulness to him. Now, we won't be judged concerning heaven and hell, but some will just make it as by fire. 
And that's what James is warning. That's what James is concerned about. That at this moment, we are careful that the trials and the struggles don't demoralize us, but moralize us. Don't cause us to become unsanctified, but sanctify us. Every trial traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. The new pastor was elected to a church. He got a great majority. There was a small minority that didn't vote for him. And one of the people in the minority stood up and said, I think it would be good if we make this a majority vote. If we make it a unanimous decision. I'd like to make that motion. And an older believer stood up. And this old man wasn't going to surrender his opinion. Here are his words. There is one thing you might as well understand right here and now, he demanded. I'll let you know. There'll never be anything unanimous in this church as long as I am in it. That's the way some people feel. That's the attitude of some believers. And James says, brethren, don't grumble. Don't complain. Patience strengthens the spirit sweetens the temper, subdues the pride, and it bridles the tongue. False flaws in character are first seen through our tongues. It comes out first out of our speech. And so James is warning us at that point, if we're patient, and he says, be patient. Let the second coming of Christ, if that is your hope, if that is the hope that you have in your heart, do you know what you're going to do? You're going to do exactly what Peter counsels us to do. Every man that has this hope in him, meaning the second coming, purifies himself as he is pure. So what we're going to do if we're looking forward to the return of Christ and we're meditating on it and we're thinking about it and we're contemplating on it and we're looking forward to that time that he breaks through that eastern sky, we're going to be so careful how we live and how we walk. Now, it's not always easy to be around Christians. Let me ask you, how many have been disappointed by other Christians? I mean, you got close to this one brother or sister, and suddenly you saw that there were more flaws than you realized in them. How many have had that experience? Well, how many people have gotten close to you and found that so of you? (laughs) Well, to walk with saints we love, that will indeed be glory. To walk with saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) He calls us to be patient and not to take out our frustrations with each other. But something else happens when you meditate on the coming of Christ. You meditate on the coming of Christ. It's not only a judgment to come, but it's a glorious reward to come. A glorious reward. In verses 7 to 8, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too. Be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
What James does is he goes back into an illustration that all of them would be familiar with. They were dependent on the crops. It's not like today. In that time, in an agricultural society, if it didn't rain, if the weather wasn't right, if there were certain blights, they could be devastated. They live from day to day, from hand to mouth. And so he's talking about the farmers planting and the Early rains coming in December and November and January and February, softening that hard baked ground. And then the latter rains coming in April and March, nurturing those seeds and giving life to those seeds so that they could grow. And then there's a sure harvest. Now all the farmer could do is plant the seed, till the ground, take care of it as best he could. But when he had done all that he could do, He had to depend on God to send the rains. There's some things that you and I cannot do. You can't change people's hearts. There's some things that you can't do. You've got to leave with God. And what James is saying at this moment is this. God is faithful to bring the harvest, to send the rains, to supply. If you sow seeds of patience... If you sow in that time of suffering unjustly, wrongly, misunderstood, somebody misunderstood you, you're going through a difficult time in your marriage, and you just hang in there, and you just say, okay, Lord, help me through this time. Or you're at the work, and it's a difficult time at work, and you know, you're tempted to get involved with the office gossip, and you just don't do it. You say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hold my tongue. And then somebody talks about you, and you're tempted to retaliate and talk about it, and you say, no, no, Lord, I'm going to put a bridle on my tongue. I'm going to be patient under this suffering God says you're going to reap a harvest God says he is going to pay you back and that's what James is encouraging them to do he's saying know that God is faithful to see and observe your patience in that difficult situation as you're going through that know God's with you know he's there and he's going to reward you Now, somehow as we think about the return of Christ, we're put into, as it were, that other reality, that reality of the spiritual realm that is more permanent and more lasting than the material realm. That's going to last forever and ever. And the kingdom of God is real in our hearts, and that God's presence will be real as we contemplate his return and as we're thinking about him, he'll strengthen us. And we know that there's a reward ahead for us. Notice what he said. Stand firm. Notice the text. Stand firm. It's like stand up in your heart. Don't let the wind shake you this way and move you this way. Don't let it bend you. Stand firm. Stand on the promise. Stand with your eyes fixed towards the coming of the Lord because you know He's coming. But you say, wait a minute, Pastor. I've watched television and they're always mocking Christians who are waiting for the return of the Lord. It's the brunt of comedians. It's the joke of the sitcoms. Where is his promise of his coming? When is he going to return? Let me take you back to the first book of the Bible. The first promise ever given of the coming of the Lord. It's found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It said the seed of the woman would bruise, as it were, the head of the serpent. It was given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And that was a promise concerning the incarnation. That was a promise concerning what we celebrate as Christmas. Christ coming to the world. They waited 
1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years before that promise was fulfilled. How many years are we waiting for the second coming of Christ? 2,000. 1,000 years as is a day with the Lord. If they could be patient, we could be patient. I don't know when he's going to come, but he is going to come. And I'm going to wait patiently in this world, trusting that he's going to return, trusting that he's going to come back. Amen? Amen. He is returning. He's going to come back. As we look at our character, it's forged on the anvil of suffering. Character is forged on the anvil of suffering. You feel the pounding. You feel the pain. You feel testing. What's God doing? I see it. You look more and more like Christ as you yield yourself to him. If he suffered, are we to expect any less? Now, James does something else for us. What James is going to do is he says, let me give you a couple of examples These examples will inspire you. Meditate on them. Meditate on these examples, and they'll inspire you to patience. Well, let's look at the text together. We have the meditating on godly examples that inspire patience. The example, the prophets, inspires patience. Brothers, as an example in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That's powerful. The prophets here was speaking about those in Israel who not just spoke about the future, but called the nation to moral rightness, to righteousness, to holiness, to godly living. They were popular, right? No. They weren't at all. You remember Isaiah the prophet? He had that wonderful vision of God high and lifted up in the temple. And then after that excitement and that thrill of seeing God high and lifted up in the temple, God gives him a commission when he says, Lord, I'll go. And God says, they're not going to hear. They're not going to see. They're not going to listen. They're not going to obey. And he says, how long? Until they're taken away into captivity, Isaiah. But yet Isaiah got a prophetic word that blessed generations to come. And he wasn't the only one. Jeremiah had a word from God. God. And did the nation, did the people listen to him? No, they threw him in an empty well filled with cold mud. They ridiculed and rejected him and tore up his scrolls of preaching, but yet he kept on preaching. Because you have the word of the Lord in your mouth doesn't mean the world's going to applaud it. It never has, it never will, it never will happen. Because when people really hear what God is saying, they get all unsettled. Because God calls for holiness of life. And holiness is not popular in our culture. God calls for sacrifice. And sacrifice is not popular in our culture. God calls for people to take up a cross and taking up a cross is not popular in our culture. It never has and it never will be. But if you're going to be true to God, the example of the prophets will inspire you because they were true in difficult circumstances. Be true to him then. Amen? Patience is accepting a difficult situation without giving God a deadline to remove it. Would you put your name in there? (laughs) Patience 
accepting a difficult situation without giving God a deadline. God, you have five more minutes. God, when is this going to end? God, how long is this? Take the prophets as an example of perseverance and patience. They just kept on going because they focused on following the call of God in their lives. As you focus on the call of God in your life, don't let anything deter you. Stand firm in your heart. Ask the God of heaven and earth to inspire you with patience. And then like Corey Ten Boone, as she suffered in a concentration camp, she would just go through trusting the Lord, and she became a powerful voice of reconciliation. Like Derek Bonhoeffner, who spoke to our world even as he suffered in a concentration camp, and he wrote that that inspiring book, The Cost of Discipleship. See, we need to hear voices like that calling us to what God has called us to do and be what God has called us to be. We're on that anvil and God is saying, I'm molding, I'm shaping you, not merely for time, but for eternity. I'm looking at your best for all eternity. And what I'm doing in you is going to last. You're one of my trophies of the work of my grace. And if you trust me, I'll bring you through it. Ah, there's something else. There's the example of Job in patience. And his, the word patience here is, is a different Greek word. This word is referring to suffering in general. The other words were referring to this idea of unjust suffering that just comes into our life. He says, take Job for an example. Now, Job, it's the only time he's mentioned in the New Testament. James is the only one that mentions it. But I'll tell you, millions and millions of people have mentioned Job. And when have they mentioned him? In the trial. In the struggle. In the testing. He's inspired so many people. God ordained. Say it again. God ordained. I need to say it a third time. God ordained that suffering. It happened in heaven. Could Job have done anything to prevent it? No. He didn't even know what was going on. Here Job is. And out of that suffering... You know, there are sometimes he got a little upset with God. You read the text, you'll see it. He got a little upset with things. But what does the word say? The patience of Job. Isn't it wonderful how God remembers our strengths and he obliterates our failures? How God remembers our victories and how he buries our failures in that sea of forgetfulness. The patience of Job. When Job came out of that fire, when he came out of that storm, when he came out of that struggle, he came out with incredible truth. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I know my Redeemer lives and I'll stand one day. He's going to stand on that day in the latter end on the earth. I know. See, Job in the midst of suffering got some great things and he has given that to generations that would follow him. Now take the trials out of Abraham's life and you don't have any narrative. You got the call and maybe the death, but if you look at his life, it's all filled with chapters of struggle, trials, testings. You pull that. Take the struggle out of David's life. Remove Saul. 
Oh, you'd have to rip one psalm after another out of the book of Psalms. Take even David's failures out. Take Psalm 32 out. Remove Psalm 51. See, God is the Redeemer, and he uses even our sufferings and our struggles and our trials for his honor and for his glory and to promote his kingdom. So it doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. It doesn't matter necessarily all of the things there, but it's a direct of your life. Now when you're going through the struggle, I know it's hard. You're in the midst of that struggle and it doesn't make sense. You go, what's the meaning of this thing? What in the world is this happening to me for? Send it to the deacons. They're more spiritual. Give it to the pastor and his family. They can handle it. I'm just an average regular church goer. Not me, Lord. Just leave that trial there for a moment. Come with me. Let's go ahead. A few months, maybe a year. Now look back on it. Ah, it makes sense now. It makes sense now. I see what God was doing. I see how he was using it. I see how he was perfecting me. I see how that was the anvil and hair. He was shaping my life. See, there's some things that we will not understand in this world, but I tell you, when we get on the other side and we look back, we'll recognize, oh, Lord, thank you. I didn't realize what you were doing. I didn't understand it, but thank you. You didn't answer my prayer, and you didn't take me out of that, but you allowed me to go through that because it was a refining process in me. It purified me. It made me new. It made me different. It changed me. And Lord, by your grace, I was triumphant in it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Some, the sheer greatest victories in life you will learn are one just by the sheer determination of perseverance. The greatest victories in your life you'll learn by that perseverance. God, I'm not let go of you. Job didn't understand God, but he didn't let go of God. Let me say it again. Job didn't understand everything that was happening He wasn't privy to the conversation that went on in heaven between Satan and God. We are. We know the story. He didn't at that time. But he never let go of God. And that's what James is saying. Be patient. Persevere. Someone has said, the soul would have no rainbow if the eye had no tears. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there. You need patience. Don't run away. Don't try and run away from the trial. Put it at his feet. Leave it in his hands. Bow before him and say, sanctify it to me, Lord. And God will bring great glory And he'll do a work of grace inside of you that could happen in no other way. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? These words from the book of James could lead one to believe that we must earn our salvation by good works. 
Pastor Ed will tackle this difficult subject and more as he teaches through the book of James. We'll learn that works are the result of faith, not the other way around. Although building in faith is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Edward Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching through his series, Through the Book of James, right here on Building in Faith. Everybody wins when a leader gets better. Absolutely everyone. The stakes of leadership are sky high. Everyone has influence. Come to the Global Leadership Summit on August 10th and 11th and learn skills to help you lead transformation in your community. The summit features leaders like Bill Hybels, Sheryl Sandberg, Andy Stanley, and more. Experience the summit at Faith Assembly, Casper Kill Campus, Poughkeepsie, August 10th and 11th. Register at willowcreek.com summit and use the priority code radio, willowcreek.com summit.